You all met Theron Cosgrave and Principal Ali Rocco in episode 67 and then again in 77. Stop here and go back and listen to those if you haven't yet. Since October of 2019, I've been following this group of educators in California's Central Valley as they work to build one of the most innovative middle school models I've heard anything about in recent decades. Don't get me wrong. There are some of you who may be in the business of innovating middle school models and have all kinds of ideas about others that fit the aspiration of learning for the digital age. And I hope you'll bug me over Twitter at M.A. Lesser or on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash no such thing podcast and tell me about stuff I should be covering. I digress. Mad Tech characterizes some of the most important questions in education for me. Here's just one example in my mind. What does it mean to intersect great learning design with great design for physical spaces in an age where we've learned so much about how the two can complement one another. In this episode, we're joined by Laura Quiroz, Dean of Curriculum Instruction and Assessment, to hear more about how the instructional model for Mad Tech has been forced to flex and more about what they're learning in relation to the core principles of their design that they've been able to carry over in spite of COVID. One of a few bright spots that the school is leveraging and that came up in our conversation is their use of VDI. We didn't get to come back to this in the conversation, though. Allison and Laura messaged me moments after it came up in our conversation to answer my question about the acronym. VDI stands for Virtual Desktop Infrastructure. I bring it up again here to ask that if you or someone you know are an expert with VDI, particularly in education, I'd love to hear from them on social media. Share resources you may have about case studies that have worked using VDI to extend access to software that may not run easily on a Chromebook. I'll share those resources in an upcoming episode, I promise. Some housekeeping before we get started. Keep an eye out for No Such Thing podcast on Spotify, finally. Number two, I'm working on some upcoming episodes on TikTok personalities and education and learning with the platform, and I hope you'll message me on Facebook and let me know if you have ideas or burning questions you'd like me to cover last. If you're looking for a Halloween gift to send my way, I know it's a little late. I hope you'll consider hitting the subscribe button wherever you found the show if you review the show and message me a screen grab over Twitter at M.A. Lesser. I will happily grab your details and send along some No Such Thing laptop stickers. <sighs> Wishing everyone health and happiness right now. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. Mad Tech, welcome back. I'm so excited to check in with you all. Um, for a bunch of different reasons, you know, we have a huge list of questions that I asked you all early on. I do want, uh, before we get started down any of those roads, I want to introduce a newcomer to this conversation. Laura, um, thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you, Mark. Allison, I was wondering actually if you um, if you want to just introduce Laura and, and sort of your introduction and description of her uh, couldn't have been uh, more glowing. And so I want to give you the opportunity to just uh, describe what Laura brings to this team. Laura Quiros is the Dean of Curriculum here at MadTech, and she was previously a district academic coach in Madeira Unified. And her depth of knowledge of English literacy and standards and how to support second language learners is beyond my expertise. And so she was brought in as a curriculum expert to support teachers, to coach teachers up, and to kind of take over the curriculum side at MadTech and guide teachers in innovative practices and ways to kind of connect with students and scaffold student learning, how to kind of create a universal design for learning so that we're getting as much or as many students on our first round of instruction as possible by putting pieces in place to support them. And so Laura's main support system is through the curriculum and to teachers and how to engage kids in class. And so during this time of distance learning, you know, she has been a huge resource to everyone on this campus. And she leads the professional development on our campus as well. When it comes to classroom instruction, she supports teachers with grade books, standard alignment, curriculum alignment, 
Um, she does it all and she's amazing. So we're so fortunate to have her not only in Madera Unified, but specifically at MadTech, where we have a large population of second language learners that are participating in our program. You can't see this, but I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so great. I'm wondering uh, if you can just, I know you've been part of Madera Unified, but but what was it like joining this team that uh, looked listening back to the earlier conversations? I know in one of my first introductions to uh, Mad Tech, I mentioned that I really do believe that this is one of the most important and innovative things that's happening in the world of CTE, career and technical education, um, really in in recent memory and and i think it's one of the most important things that's gonna be happening for these middle schoolers moving forward i i wonder just to hear your perspective on what it's been like to uh, come on to this team and what excites you at this moment yeah so um exciting doesn't begin to describe <laughs> the feeling of joining this amazing team um i feel, I truly do feel that kind of like my life experiences have uniquely prepared me for this position. And um, so I, um, of course, come from a um, like ELA, equity, college and career readiness technology background. And I was assisting Ellie last year as a district academic coach with some professional development for her team. Um, additionally, when Madera Tech was kind of still a concept, uh, we were trying to find a unique uh, way to uh, be able to provide access to different student populations based on our current schedule. And so I've um, I worked with Ellie and with Theron from the beginning in, in different um, aspects of the kind of like the concept that was Madera Tech. And oh man, when I first found out that this was something that Madera Unified was championing, I was really excited at the opportunity to get to work with and um, help promote this really exciting uh, project. So um, I absolutely jumped at the opportunity to be a part of the team. Um, and because I was able to work with the team last year with some professional development opportunities, I kind of already felt like part of the family in a sense. And so they did welcome me with open arms and I am just ecstatic. I mean, um, I really feel like I've found my calling. Um, I'm really excited to be a part of the team and it's, it's fun to come to work every day. Yeah, I'll jump in here too. Um, I think it's been great for, uh, for Allie and, and the team to have someone of Laura's, uh, deep skill set as, as part of their, you know, their, their instructional, uh, leadership and, uh, especially at this point. So, you know, the, the work of building and launching this new school has, has really kind of shifted from the planning and kind of systems building to more to implementation, right? So the school launched in the fall, they launched in a distance learning mode, um, they're not technically in their brand new facility yet, um, but hope to be uh, second semester. Um, but the student, <laughs> the students are learning from home anyway, so that kind of worked out. But um, it, at this point in their uh, development, to have someone like Laura to, to come alongside and provide some really uh, deep uh, support around teaching and learning, it's just been uh, a really uh, timely and uh, important uh, part of their story. I wonder, I want to get into more into what you've been working on, Laura. I, I do want to sort of fill, fill folks in um, anytime I do a, a multi-part episode where I'm, I'm talking to a group um, more than once. I feel like I need to do that part at the beginning of the show where we, we do, you know, previously on, uh, no such thing with <laughs> Mad Tech. We've covered so much ground, and the last time we we chatted, we we've had two separate conversations that I'm going to point people to in the show notes, and I want to encourage everybody if you haven't heard those um, yet. We talked about two different phases where um, at at first we had a great conversation about the early sort of ideation phase of uh, of Mad Tech and what it was you were trying to achieve at that time. 
as a way to sort of recap that, I wonder, Ali, if you wouldn't go back to that moment um, where we were just sort of talking about the the ideas of Mad Tech. Tell us about the goals for Mad Tech. We hopefully are opening the physical space in the spring, and so these goals are are probably still very front and center. Get people up to speed just on on what it is you're trying to achieve. Um, within Madera Unified with Mad Tech? So what we were trying to do was really create meaningful learning for students at a younger age to have them engage with curriculum in school in a way that brought authenticity to it. And so trying to find a way for kids to find something they're passionate about, like engineering or agriculture, health sciences, entrepreneurship, media performing arts, um, public safety, and kind of find a way to learn their standards through that career technical education and do it in an age that it's still kind of exploring for them so that by the time they get to high school, they've either found what they're passionate about and can pursue that through high school so that they're participating in our CTE programs and graduating with courses under their belt, our certifications, um, and can go straight into the workforce or they've cemented kind of their ideas in these pathways and learning in these pathways so that they're better prepared for college and have kind of a leg up on students so that they can work while they're in college or know that before they get into college that they've found something they're passionate about. And so Madera created this lab school where kids pick one of six labs to participate in. And through that career lens, they're getting their elective, their English, and one other core subject. And so they can take these eighth grade standards and bring them to life through hands-on learning because they're learning these standards and then applying them through project-based learning. And so we wanted um, a facility that was relational, right, for students that was collaborative, that they were in a place where they got to know their teachers. So spending a larger chunk of time with teachers because they're with them for three and a half hours a day versus moving every period was really important, especially at the eighth grade level where um, kids tend to kind of get lost feel like they're not seen, kind of lose a connection. And so this format was built not only for the educational side of it, but for the social emotional side for students too. And to kind of just wheel them in and get them connected with peers and with their learning. Flash forward to our second conversation. Theron, I'm gonna see if you'll you'll sort of take, you know, pick us up there. And we had, I posted um, on the Facebook page, uh, No Such Thing Podcast um, Facebook page, you can check out some of the, the blueprints and the physical space was starting to come to life. And, and I think that sort of instructionally and logistically, those ideas of, of the relational space were starting to come together. Theron, for you, what was what was in our second conversation? We were starting to anticipate the fall. Um, we weren't yet so you know it, it was still a time where we were thinking you know this pandemic was going to be you know maybe it was a, a four or six week issue, but but probably not um, something that would really interrupt such important innovation for the district. Tell us, tell us where you, where your head was at that point in time versus where you are now. Yeah, if I if I remember, I think that conversation was around April or so, and um, yeah. yeah, at that point there was still a lot of uncertainty. Obviously, we we didn't know where on the continuum we would be from completely open to completely distanced to uh, some sort of hybrid in between. So uh, obviously, like everyone else, went into the summer with a lot of uncertainty. The um, the exciting thing back in April was that these uh, lab teams um, had really started to develop some cohesion um, in terms of the three teachers planning together, having some projects designed that they were excited about. Um, and then the whole staff had uh, really grown together. So, you know, imagine spending every day to get for a full school year with, you know, 20 folks. Um, that's what they got to do. And it was all, you know, learning and designing this, this exciting new model. Um, flash forward to now, um, obviously, you know, like everyone else in the country, things are, are not ideal. Um, 
But um, what's been super exciting is just seeing how all that foundational work into the professional learning community has really um, set these teachers in a place where they have um, this this kind of structural support system built in. So they're they are collaborating uh, within their team. They are supporting each other. They're figuring things out. They're adjusting these projects that were supposed to be hands-on and now aren't so much, um, or or they're they're just adapted uh, to a, maybe a digital hands-on. So um, th- th- that's one of the exciting uh, and fortunate things that's happened is this this learning community has really um, been able to kind of. Uh, rise to the surface as a as a critical element, uh, helping them succeed in this super strange sort of approach to learning. Yeah, yeah. Ali, what I, I'm curious for you as um, a, a principal right now, what are the things from that planning year? You had these in a funky way that makes sense to people now uh, to say the word pod. You know, it's like people kind of get what uh, y- you kind of had these these teams, you know, potting together for a year to talk about planning what um, what this was all going to look like when it came to life. I wonder if there are unanticipated outcomes from that planning year that actually ended up serving this crazy COVID school year that we're having you, that you just didn't expect and, and are kind of excited about now in hindsight. Are, did any of those come to life for you? I think it's, I would say that we always knew that the relationships between the staff would be extremely important, right? And their ability to communicate and rely on each other. But I feel like that's been, um, even more important in this environment. And we see schools trying to get teachers to move to our model, right? Where they're trying to get teachers to collaborate on curriculum and go more towards project-based learning and to find ways to maximize time by kind of working together. And so that piece we already had in place. And I would say that the trust that they were able to build last year has made it so they could move quicker this year when making decisions Um, And trusting each other in certain situations and or being willing to take a risk um, and try someone's idea when things aren't working. And so we always knew how important the relationship between the teachers would be, um, but we're really seeing it come to life now. And I think it's paying off even with students because students see the unity and the commitment amongst the team and the support of all three teachers when they're doing things. Laura, do you have anything to add to that? No, I would absolutely agree with you that kind of like the systems that were set in place last year um, allowed the teachers to really step up and um, adapt and be flexible with the changes that happened this year. You said this thing, um, Theron, earlier where, you know, as as sort of a reality of this moment that we're in, you know, you sort of uh, pulled yourself back. You said, you said the the phrase hands-on and then you said, well, kind of digital hands-on. <laughs> and um, this is such a reality for everybody right now, right? Uh, you know, what exactly does this mean? And I think part of the reason I'm so excited to be talking to this group um, and Laura, to have you join this conversation is that I think everybody in the country is trying to figure out what does it mean to be hands-on or project-based or any of these, you know, there, there were a lot of sort of instructional um, currents that were pointing into our future. And in a lot of ways, the physical space and spirit of mad tech was kind of a characterization of a lot of the best, the, the kind of best of list of those things. I'm really curious to have you, Laura, just describe, I mean, to you, first off, what are you seeing that's exciting in terms of how we can be hands-on in ways that maybe we didn't anticipate earlier and then just more broadly to talk about how how you are helping the teams to make instructional shifts that still fit the sort of spirit of what Mad Tech is about, 
and what this building is going to facilitate in the future um, in, in this kind of this uh, precursor to that that we're in right now. Yeah, so um, imagine planning instruction, spending a whole year planning instruction, and then suddenly kind of like the carpets removed from under you, um, oh particularly gosh. with our CTE teachers who, um, for instance, our agriculture and our manufacturing lab who truly their projects really need students to get in there and use their hands to demonstrate their mastery of those skills. Um, so I would be lying if I said that we, our teachers weren't a little disappointed, right, uh, when we heard that we were not coming back um, in August. However, um, it is, you know, the nature of 2020 to be resilient, to adapt, to be flexible, and to be creative. Uh, a big part of our school is cre creativity. And so our teachers really stepped up to the plate. Uh, the first thing we did is we um, kind of shifted gears um, we asked teachers that if there was a project that they had planned that didn't really require um, as as many like products or as many hands-on or if we could kind of adapt what the student products were to kind of shift those units towards the uh, beginning of the year. So they had to do some major lesson redesign. Um, and then the next part was, well, how are students going to create those products? Um, knowing that eventually we wanted the public audience part of the PBL and for them to really use um, the redefining technology aspect of what they were using. Um, and so for instance, um, I'll give uh, an example from manufacturing. Uh, students were going to create 3D models using um, an online uh, programming uh, software, and then students were going to print their models. Well, um, the, the students were still able to use a different technology. Uh, the students are using Onshape technology to design their 3D products, and then our teachers are going to print them for them so that they could see mm. their um, their work, their creation, right? And so, um, you know, it, it took a lot of creativity, but I think what's exciting about what's going on at MadTech right now is that the teachers still were able to run through an entire uh, PBL. Students are still very much producing. They're still creating. Um, we we even have some elements in distance learning that we might not see in in-person instruction. For example, the ability to get to give instant feedback or to give to get instant feedback um, to know that you know all 30 students are getting a concept immediately like at our fingertips and so we're we're discovering new technology we're discovering new ways for um, to engage students in the process to check for understanding as we're going and um, we're we're learning together both as this being our first year uh open. Uh, we're kind of shifting right from theory to practice and at the same time uh, learning really great lessons about online instruction and how to engage students in um, project-based learning online. I think any anyone who's listening right now, particularly if they're they're coming from um, they're coming from a, a learning environment and are trying to figure some of these things out, I would I would uh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask specifically what's working for you all. Um, some of the things that you're trying, especially in terms of, you know, how to get that that more sort of instantaneous feedback and and tighten up those loops between, uh, you know, that in in person are one thing, but virtually are something totally different. Um, you know, tell us tell us what's working well and are there as specific as you can be um, to point folks who might be looking for, for practices from, uh, from you, you know, give us, give us what recommendations you can make. Yeah. Something that we've noted um, all of the, you know, best practices that work in a real world environment they still very much exist within the scope of digital learning. We just have to be creative in the way we do it. So if I were in a you know, brick and mortar classroom, I would want to see um, the checking for understanding, the student engagement, the student production of a product. And so we've just had to adapt how we do those things. So for instance, um, 
the checking for understanding, we use tools like um, Flipgrid and Pear Deck and Edpuzzle that allow us to get, uh, get instant feedback from our students. Uh, we use Zoom, so um, I constantly hear the um, the thumbs up, the send me a direct chat, um, mm. right? So that that instant gratification from the teacher knowing that a student's following along. Um, as far as the student engagement piece, selecting the relevant real-world topics that really are going to engage students and build buy-in from them as they're creating their products is, is still very much relevant. And then that final production piece, um, just finding new and creative ways for students to produce. Um, and so I gave the example of the, um, the 3D modeling program that students are using in manufacturing and engineering. Um, our health labs are creating a public service announcement um, around um, common health conditions in Madera County. And so, um, you know, kind of utilizing what's going on in our country in conjunction with some um, community partners to bring awareness to COVID-19 has been huge. Um, yeah. our, our media and performing arts lab, I, I will say out of all of the labs we did have, um, you know, the students aren't using the programs that they would have used in person, but there are still workarounds with the programs that they are using. So they're still creating really creative and amazing artwork that we're really excited to share with the community. Um, and so I, I will say our, our teachers, <laughs> I think all teachers right now in the country are working their tails off. Um, it does it does force you to make sure that you are well-planned and well-prepped. There's a lot of collaboration happening. Um, but I think that they're doing a really great job of taking what would have happened in the classroom and just kind of transforming it. Yeah, you know, I, I had the, uh, the privilege of having conversations with uh, not only some of the Mad Tech teachers, but also other CTE teachers in Madera. Um, prior to the school year launching. Uh, Madera did something interesting. They pushed the school year back a week and gave teachers kind of a week of um, PD time and not only offered a number of sessions uh, kind of produced and provided by the district, but also gave teachers an opportunity to also sit in on, you know, a national webinar offered by Zoom or um, a training that's an online tutorial offered by Pear Deck. So they, it was kind of a choose your own adventure sort of week. And um, uh, so I had conversations with CTE teachers about, hey, is there a digital proxy for your tools, right? So if you're, if you're uh, teaching welding, is, is there an online sort of virtual welder sort of program that you can access? That's, that's one option. Another question is, is there any sort of kit uh, distribution that you could do? So uh, maybe you put together some hands-on uh, equipment in bags and kids come, come to school and pick them up and you kind of rotate that uh, equipment through your student population. And then also talk to them about, uh, is there any sort of a MacGyver approach, right? Where, you know, if you're teaching culinary, um, is there a way to have kids use some materials they have in their kitchen? So mm -hmm. looking at kind of those three strategies. Uh, but I had this great conversation with this mad tech teacher uh, towards the end of that week. And he said, you know what? He said, I I'm not a tech guy, but I think I'm ready because, you know, I, I needed a tool to give feedback to students, and I have that. I need a presentation tool, and I have that. And I, he kind of went through about five or six different categories, and he said, you know what? I, I feel ready because the things that I would do in my real classroom, I, I have a, a digital answer for all of those things. And uh, I just thought it was, a, it was a super smart way that he, he approached it. And obviously, they're, <laughs> they're learning on the fly as well. But... Um, yeah, a lot of adapting going on. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if if you all can think a little bit about with me about. Um, I've noticed in my conversations that folks have spent and and really still are um, even even um, just really across the board. So in my experience as a as a parent with with three kids with. Uh, you know, I now have, um, let me think, two teachers per class. So I have six teachers, probably um, at, at least uh, two student teachers in each of those classrooms. It's like a, a small team um, around 
each one of the classes that that my kids are in and and certainly a a uh, a lucky spot to be in um but one of the things that i've noticed is that they really the first phase of the school year seemed to be how do we figure out analogs for all of the things we would have been doing in person to start off a school year um even down to introducing each other <laughs> you know, getting classes to connect with one another, figuring out how to have a sort of incentive or engagement system. Like, does pajama day still work? Um, Allison, uh, I know you'll have an opinion on that, um, considering that I caught you on crazy hair day. Um, but it it felt like there was this first phase that was, how do we do the things we, we did? Find, finding analogs. Um, then I asked, asked you all um, asynchronously before this call, you know, what are the things you wouldn't trade about the last several months? And um, and up came innovation, outside of the box thinking, collaboration, um, and, and some of these things that you don't necessarily associate with, uh, you know, with merely coming up with analogs. So I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about ways that you know, first of all, are you sensing that that uh, theme as well, where you know we're we're sort of moving from a place where it's all analogs to now trying to figure out how, how might we even build on the affordances of these environments, which Laura, you you started to touch on. So, do you agree that that transition is starting to happen? And and if so, do you have some examples of things that are sort of coming out of this that might actually be re, uh, you know, either kindling um, your excitement for what's possible here, or maybe even reframing things you thought about how things would go once you get back into a building, like, are there bright spots in what's gone on in this first part of the year that you think will actually carry over beyond COVID? You know, when we were planning last year, one of our challenges was how are we going to connect with kids considering we only have them on campus during instructional time? We don't have them school. We don't have them after lunch. We don't have them after school because they bus in and bus out. And so I think through distance learning, we've found ways to connect with kids when they're not on campus. And so I think we will be using this format for some of our interventions, um, after school, like homework club type things. Um, for when we can't get kids physically on campus, we now have a way that they'll be very familiar with with connecting with teachers and students digitally. And so I think that is a benefit that we maybe wouldn't have come across in different circumstances um, that we can capitalize on in the future. And, you know, I think the innovation and the just thinking outside the box of teachers and students has been something that we've always wanted. And we were put in a situation where we had to think out of the box. And um, I think that has been a benefit too. And maybe one of you can talk about uh, your work with parents during this season. We are um, finding ways to kind of connect. So the whole district moved to um, a parent square model because you can do phone call, text messaging, email, all through one source. And so we, as a district, went district-wide with one form of communication. So um, previously, parents would have maybe um, like a class dojo or a remind me app, or it was some teachers emailed, some teachers do this. So when there were multiple ways of communicating, we've tried to really funnel it into one type of communication. And so we're still getting, you know, a bulk of our parents on this form of communication. But I think once we do, the fact that we have one way to communicate with parents will help streamline a lot of information. Um, Laura has been great, and my team of people in the office we've been doing what it takes, right? We make phone calls. If they don't answer, we call emergency contacts. We've done home visits. Um, and once parents know how we're communicating, they're much better at staying in the loop of communication. So the early on, it was just making sure parents knew of this new format that the district was using to communicate and then trying to get them to engage with it. Um, might I add to that, um, the huge benefit that comes from the need to use and learn new digital tools, both from the student and from the teacher's perspective. Um, we mostly, most of our teachers were already on board with digital tools, but 
Um, some of them had to learn new tools and um, students had to be taught um, kind of like the most efficient way to use tools. I mean, even to the point where, um, and I might remind your audience that we work with eighth graders, right? So they, they don't, while they're on their cell phones or their devices all day, they don't always know the most um, the most efficient way to use tools. So even like creating videos for them on how to take a screenshot and upload the screenshot so that you can show your work or, I mean, just being able to teach them these great tech skills that are going to be necessary in high school and college and the workforce and beyond. Um, I think those are some of like the long-term benefits of what we had, we were kind of forced to do. I also hear um, teachers who find great tools like, oh man, like I'm going to definitely continue using this even when it's not a need. Um, and then uh, the planning part, the being able to collaborate on Zoom, um, if like someone's schedule just doesn't uh, line up in the future, we know of all of these tools uh, that we can use for collaboration and for outreach. Um, I kind of mentioned before the access part of it, um, being able to get instant feedback from and to students. Um, and then knowing that as a district, we, we, we do have the capacity to give access to like 100% of our students, both um, devices and internet is huge. And now that we know that, even if it's not a need, um, getting students access to technology, um, I think is huge going forward. This is a great segue to something I've been curious about, which, you know, there's a major part of this model where um, part of the hypothesis you're testing is, is there value to be had when we start this experience of um, you know, building a, a sense of career uh, relevance and and understanding at an earlier stage, you know, in, in middle school. That's not something that's happening all over the country. And I wonder what you're, what you all feel you're learning about the young people at this school, um, you know, and, and I mean that both in a very local sense uh, so, so that that may in this moment be about you know uh, connectivity or specific challenges related to um, you know whether young people have access to being able to to sort of uh, to not only get online but then what they need to show what they they can do is this unprecedented start of the school year telling you things about these young people that Mad Tech serves that maybe you wouldn't have known uh, if not for this moment in time? Our students, our scholars have really, really stepped up to the plate. Um, their resilience and their creativity with everything that's going on has really, truly been amazing. Um, I think that this very unique um, place that we're at in history um, has validated our experiment that eighth graders could do all of these great things. I think a huge benefit of ours is students um, selected their lab schools based on their interest. And so um, our teachers have this unique footing that um, students are already engaged. They already find um, the content relevant because it's something that they're truly interested in and want to learn more about. And so it's kind of like a way to feed them the medicine, knowing that kind of like they like the flavor. And so I, I just see um, students really being able to show their creativity through their projects and through their work and our teachers being able to provide the content because we know that the students want it. They're interested. They, um, one of our labs did a, a student survey. Actually, a lot of our labs did student surveys at the end of the first quarter just to get a sense of um, how they're feeling, what they're loving, what maybe they're not loving. And we just got some really great student feedback um, that, you know, their time at MadTech is the highlight of their week or um, they're they're really having fun and learning at the same time. And so... Um, I think this this kind of like validates our hypothesis that you spoke of earlier. I 
And it'll be even more exciting to be able to add that hands-on element once we move into a hybrid model. Yeah. One of the questions on the mind of pretty much every uh, career oriented school in the country is, you know, around, you, you mentioned this early Theron about, you know, is there a, um, is there a virtual model for what it is you're trying to teach? So you use the example of welding, you know, do you have a simulator, et cetera? Um, then you ask the question about kits. I wonder in those two areas, are there things that you've made decisions on uh, or, or found just in, in um, that are working, you know, are there, are there uh, simulations that are particularly successful? Are there uh, partners, you know, from the, the career side that have stepped up to help make this a, a smoother transition? So we recently had each of our lab teams kind of come up with lab kits that they would want to put together if they needed it for second quarter. And so two of our labs did order supplies. We were able to use some of the COVID funding provided to get materials here. And we are in the process of receiving items and packaging them for distribution to students so that they can do some um, home building. And that was for the ag lab and for engineering and manufacturing lab, but then we have labs like our media performing arts and our entrepreneurship and marketing labs where they were really software based and our students work mainly on Chromebooks. And so the software wasn't necessarily Hmm. accessible through a Chromebook, but through some new market tax that we were able to receive and other things, we are putting in a VDI system, which basically allows their Chromebooks to work as if it were, a PC or had software on it. And so it's not available yet. It's supposed to be coming available sometime in November and December. So for those labs that were really software heavy, their Chromebook should be able to function with that software for second semester. And so that's still something we're looking forward to the kids having so that they can use the same software they would have used in class. And we will continue throughout the year to seek lab input on materials that they need that we need to get in the hands of students and order those supplies so that we can give them to students and they can do some of the work from home that's needed to be done. And we're also starting to look at what the possibility of a hybrid model would look like if we get small groups of kids on campus at times. And so that comes with a whole set of different challenges. Um, And so it really just kind of depends on the community and the health of our community and where we're at as far as COVID on what those models will look like in the future and how quickly we'll move into different phases. You know, Mark, one, one of the things that I've been um, encouraging not only Mad Tech teachers, but all, some of the other schools that I work with as well is just to approach all of these uh, adjustments and adaptations with a, with a particular mindset. And that mindset is, let's get good at this in case it lasts longer than we want it to, right? <laughs> so um, I, I, I heard from a few schools uh, back in August that were saying, oh, you know, we think we'll be back in person by November. And I was, I was trying to encourage them. I said, you know, that, that may be the case or it may not be the case. Let's approach this um, with, with a commitment to really go deep, be creative, figure these tools out like the VDI system, right? Like that would be super helpful if a kid gets mono and is out for a couple weeks, um, you know, even when we're back in person. So some, some of these uh, things that we're learning, I think uh, it takes a whole lot of investment by the students and the teachers. Uh, but, but, I, but, I, but I think there is, is a greater potential payoff if, if we um, just approach it from that, uh, th- that growth sort of uh, mindset. What is the acronym for VDI? Oh, good question. I'd have to look it up. <laughs> um, I will say, though, that you had asked earlier one of the biggest benefits to going to distance learning, and I would say getting technology in our kids' hands to have at home. And so that's, hoping, that's something I'm hoping that even when we come back to an in-school model someday, that our kids are able to keep the computers and bring them back and forth to school every day. Because if we have this VDI it will allow them to practice and use software that they normally only have access to when they're in school at night and on the weekends to fuller develop their skills in some of those areas and have more um, interaction with some of the software that they usually only have at school. So 
I'm hopeful that when kids return, the practice of them having their own computer that goes back and forth to school with them is something that they get to keep. That's a great example, Allie, of things things you might hope actually don't come to an end, right? Um, are there other things that that for you you've you've sort of stopped wishing away in the in the sense that um, you know we did at the beginning of this thing, like are things going to go back to normal? Um, you know, when they do, um, there'll be such a relief. I, I find that in all facets of my life, there are, um, areas where I've stopped wishing them away because there are actually, um, there's some amazing upside. Um, are there other ones for you all that you're realizing as you go? Something I've heard from, uh, some teachers is that, um, maybe students who, might not feel comfortable speaking up in um, like a traditional class setting are uh, really speaking up because they are able to do it from the comfort of their home. Um, I, the kind of like the, the type, the students who um, might not want to share with the whole class, but could send the teacher a direct message. Um, we find that some students uh, do engage better in this type of environment. Um, and kind of like, I know I keep saying it, but the reach that teachers have to be able to um, touch um, symbolically, you know, 70 students at once or 30 students at once is really amazing. And I think, uh, even if we do come back uh, to full in-person or in a hybrid model, how could we encapsulate that and continue to use some of those practices where I'm getting instant feedback from students? I think that'll be a great question for teachers as they plan their in-person instruction. I think there's also this immediacy to collaboration that's like these teachers really need each other to, to survive this, to get good at it, to iterate to uh, you know, learn what's what's working, and um, I'm I'm hoping that uh, that whole uh, approach towards uh, professional collaboration just uh, continues beyond that. We 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 don't uh, kind of migrate to our own classrooms and kind of stay on our own uh, going forward. But that we we remember that. Gosh, we're we're so much better. The answer's probably in the room. We're, we're, we're so much better together. Mm. I know uh, we are limited for time. I want to, if, if you don't mind, I want to ask one more question. You all are fully, fully virtual at the moment. Um, like a lot of districts, I'm sure y'all are considering some version in the coming months um, where there's a hybrid and, and you're going to have to make choices about um, you know, if if a portion of a class can only come in, you know, for two hours, for example, like let's, you know, many, many districts are, are going to have um, models where students come in for only a couple of days a week and only for a few hours in that day. Um, I, I wonder just from a high level, if, if, you can come back to a hybrid environment and let's say you can only spend two hours, um, you know, two hours in the day on the things that are most important to bring students to mad tech for what are the, what are the themes that are going to drive those decisions for you? From a, like a curricular standpoint, I think, um, the hands-on aspect of our school and our, um, our projects is what we're missing the most in our current environment. Um, so for me, I think um, like maximizing the time with students to make sure that we're doing the stuff we can't do online. So thinking about our agriculture lab or manufacturing lab um, and making sure that we kind of prioritize those things um, because we've learned that we can do a lot of things virtually. So what are the things that we absolutely cannot do virtually and how can we maximize our time with students when we do go to the next phase of our model? Sure. 
Yeah, I 100% agree with Laura um, as far as utilizing that time for kind of the project pieces that they could only get on campus. And then really to connecting with our students that are struggling in the distance learning model and not engaging, making sure that the time we do have with them, that we're maximizing um, the curriculum that we're going over with them and the teaching that we're doing with them to set them up for success in the independent model because we know some of them are really struggling with the distance learning. And so what can we do in that short amount of time that we have them on campus so that they can be independent workers during the time that they're away from us or that they really utilize how to access us when they're home to support them? Hmm. Yeah, and I, I would hope too that, you know, I, and I think teachers across the country are figuring this out. Um, social emotional learning, this, the whole kind of social emotional support piece is so critical. Um, I think that that precious time you do have with students really needs to um, take that into account and make sure that um, we are deepening relationships uh, amongst the students themselves and, and with teachers. Um, I think it's going to look a little more like camp <laughs> um, when they are on campus because um, you know, we, we, we don't want to just present curriculum or deliver instruction. We, we want to really uh, emphasize process work with students. So a, lo- mm. a lot of, a lot of um, group work, a lot of um, social-emotional support type things can happen in person uh, in, in a deeper way than they can in this uh, virtual environment. So the the three themes that I heard, tell me if I missed anything. Uh, the three things I'm I'm hearing are um, the hands-on work and and project work and making sure that they can come together in um, in live ways to to get the sort of richness of uh, what it means to literally put your hands on. Um, so that was one theme. The second theme I heard was around um, building the 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 sort of readiness for those students where you're identifying gaps in how well they can connect in a in a remote learning or virtual learning setup. Um, really doing some skill building to try and narrow that gap between students who, you know, get on smoothly and and don't have the issues of uh, being able to connect and engage virtually. So that that felt like a second theme. And then um, third, this thing you said, uh, third around social emotional uh, engagement and learning, um, you said something that campus is going to feel potentially a little bit more like camp, which um, excites me tremendously uh, because I think it's going to be fascinating to see how that pans out. Are those that, did I get that right? Is there anything that I'm missing? I would say you got it. I really can't thank the three of you enough for spending some time to check in. I hope we can do it again as things change in the next several months. Um, and I just want to let you know how, how much I'm thinking about you all and, and rooting for you and the work uh, every day. Thank you, Mark. We really appreciate just the time to talk about what we're doing and how we're doing it and to kind of share practices. Thank you, Mark. Thanks a lot. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you and our show notes can be found at no such thing podcast dot org.